whether we're talking about business, wellness, travel, or relationships. I've always thought age is just a number. Welcome to Ageless with me, Cynthia Raleigh, and my daughter, Kit Keenan. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Ageless. So today we have a very exciting episode for you guys. We have Abby Stone, Well and Good's executive editor on the podcast today. So for anyone who doesn't know what Well and Good is, it is an online platform that launched in 2010, and they have really set the standard for reporting and trend spotting in the wellness space. So today we're talking all about their trend report for 2022, what they think is going to be happening in the wellness space this year. So we hope you guys enjoyed this episode and let us know your thoughts. So we are huge fans. I know. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. I think I joined Well and Good like in 2010, maybe. Mm-hmm. Is that possible? Like, yeah, it is. So. Yeah, it's amazing. You've been there from the beginning. Um, it was yeah. founded in 2009. So, yeah, right at the very beginning. Yeah. Yeah, we are huge fans. Yeah, someone told me, oh, you have to get, you know, you have to start getting this email. Mm-hmm. And it just was everything that I wanted, you know, everything that I wasn't getting in other places. Yeah. And I think something that I really look forward to each year is the Well and Good Trend Report. And I want to talk about how those reports are made and how you guys create the predictions for that coming year. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you. I'm so excited that you guys are both fans of the brand as a, you know, the feeling is very mutual. So a ton, a ton of work goes into that annual trends report. And I'm thankful you asked about it because I want people to know that the editors don't just create it sitting in our office or at home, as the case may be, in a vacuum. We start doing research for the trends report every summer And, you know, that looks like editors starting to compile the information they have about new launches and new brands and the conversations they're having with experts to kind of start formulating this working list of trends. And then very quickly, we dive into a ton of conversations with hundreds of experts and entrepreneurs and leaders in the wellness space. This year, for the first time, we also put together a panel of what we called Wellness Trends Advisors, which were 25 luminaries in the field, I would say, who we really identified as having their finger on the pulse of what's coming. So we spoke with them very early on in the process to see what was on their radar. And then kind of as the report was coming together, we we continually checked back in with them to add their voices to the report as well. So I want to talk about the categories that are on the report. And I remember when I first started like getting email blasts from Well and Good, I feel like the categories weren't broken up in the way that they are now. And I'm wondering like if you could predict a category that might be added, what do you think it would be? 
Yeah, well, great catch. First of all, we added the categories last year for the first time because we really saw that the pandemic made these broad sweeping changes across categories. And we wanted a way to really dive into what those those huge changes were. But even this year, I found it was more difficult to fit certain trends into different categories. We have one trend about how pet wellness and pet grooming routines are starting to mirror our own approach to our beauty routines. And I was like, where does this, where does this go? I think we put it under home because your pets like live in your home, but it really could have gone anywhere. And I think two categories in particular that have just exploded in the past year and could really be their own standalone categories going forward are mental health and financial wellness, I think are two as people have a broader understanding of what health and wellness looks like and knowing it's more than just exercise and healthy eating, you know, there are more services and support for people in these two areas. I totally agree. And I think that like, we've seen that change so much on social media in the past few years. And I think a lot of the traditional like fitness and healthy eating influencers have started to incorporate Mm -hmm. more about mental health, especially like in their content. And I think that's really awesome because obviously like growing up, it was such a stigmatized thing to even go to therapy or talk about mental health problems at all. And I think definitely incorporating it into these wellness, overall wellness conversations. And also like even with younger kids that are like on social media, like on the D'Amelio show, for example, like you see how much mental health is affecting our well-being, especially people who live online. And I would say like, that's a huge category that can only grow and like an umbrella category that can only like become more and more categories. So I think that's, that's really important and something that like only really has been considered part of like, well, wellness in the past few years. So yeah, I think that's really great. Yeah, I think, I I mean, I think that holistic approach is really what well and good is so, is so good at. Thank Yeah. I also think the financial well-being is a great new category. I think people started thinking more about that during the pandemic and how to budget and what their priorities were. And so to have tips on that, I think is also like really, really timely and smart. It's also like, obviously that is the root of everything. If you don't have financial stability, there's no way to afford proper health care, proper mental health care. A a lot of the things that we talk about, like in the wellness space are often very, you need privileged access to to attain those things. And without financial well-being, that's really hard to achieve. So I want to talk about like what the pillars are or the trends are in the financial wellness category. Totally. So a big part of it is what you were just getting at, Kit, which is that financial wellness or or your financial situation is one of the biggest causes of stress for people in the United States in particular. 
And now that there is a greater awareness of the way that that impacts your life, it, it connects to this mental health question as well, right? Like the two are very, not just parallel, but they really impact one another. So I think that's a big part of it. And then I think this question of privilege is another really important one and a thing to look at because I think there's a greater awareness and understanding broadly as well as the way, you know, things like the social determinants of health and the way that your socioeconomic position has a greater impact on your physical health, your mental health, everything. It's all tied together. So, you know, that's kind of why I think the financial wellness bit is so key and we're seeing a lot of cool apps and services and communities pop up that are targeted really for specific communities as well, which is interesting. So they're very niche rather than, you know, everyone uses their same banking app or their same investing app. You know, they're targeted more specifically to the needs of working moms or people who are really looking for a community or their ones about for Black women who are investing or Latina women who are investing. Um, and I think that allows these services to better serve those communities because they're not trying to be everything for everyone. And I think that mentality about nothing can be everything to everyone is something that has completely changed like the wellness world that I, when I first got interested in fitness and wellness on Instagram, like that was the opposite of what was preached. It was like either you follow this one diet or workout routine or whatever it is, or basically you're unwell. Like you are not healthy if you don't, if you're not a vegan or you're not keto or whatever it is, or you're not doing like weightlifting or CrossFit or whatever. And I think that overall mentality about having a very individualized approach to wellness is something that has completely changed the industry in the past few years. And something that I really love because obviously like it's not, nothing is going to work for everyone. And I think that's why a lot of people feel as though they might fail in achieving some sort of overall wellness because they're constantly being told like you need to live in this certain way. And if they don't live in that certain way, it's kind of like they're not, they're not well. And, and that's absolutely not true. Well, I think it was like trends were coming out because it was new to the world. Things were being introduced and now there's so much newness in all parts of wellness that you can, you really can find your own path that way. And I think that's also what Well and Good is, is so good. It's so inclusive. It's so diverse and really so much information every day that you can really pick and choose easily and save, you know, the things that feel really personal. Mm-hmm. I think that t- to your point, mommy, there is so much information and there's constantly new studies, new articles out in the wellness space. And I want to ask, I guess you personally, Abby, but also well and good overall, like what is the philosophy around 
finding like optimal, quote unquote, optimal health in a space that's so oversaturated with new information constantly? It's not easy. I'll give you that because we are oversaturated with with information and, and a lot of it contradicts each other, right? So there'll be a study one day that's like drinking coffee is great for your brain. Another one that's like drinking too much coffee leads to cancer, right? So it's really confusing. And I think that at Well and Good, what we really try and do is cut through that as much as possible. And often our coverage is myth-busting or kind of pointing to the fact that you might have seen this in the news. We talked to an expert about it. Here's what they have to say. And in terms of the things we cover, we have a lot of conversations amongst the editorial team where someone might pitch another coffee story. And we'll be like, you know, there's, there's too many. There's too much out there. This isn't saying anything. It's not helping anyone. We're just not going to cover that. So I think that we're able to help cut through that noise by really continuing to bring the focus back to those core pillars of health and to really understand through the experts we work with what the main drivers are. Things like moving your body. It doesn't matter how, it really doesn't matter how much, just making sure you do it in a way that works for you. Eating the nutrients you need. And again, any way that you want to do that is fine and good, <laughs> well and good. And paying attention to things like, like mental health and stress and keeping those levels in check. So if some of these new studies or headlines aren't kind of directly additive or don't have a clear takeaway for a reader and just adds to the confusion, we often won't cover it at all. So I think that's, that's kind of part of it. And over the past few years, I think we've seen this trend that I'm personally a really big fan of, of going back to those basics and pairing back the thinginess of wellness, you know, and, and all of the products and all of the classes and just getting back to, you know, figuring out for yourself what feels good for you. And that's not to say that's an easy process, but to your point, Kit, I think taking some of the pressure off of looking a certain way, of trying the hottest new exercise class or this fuzzy supplement brand you're seeing on Instagram and getting back to just what alleviates your stress throughout the day, what makes you happy, what makes you feel good in your body. Like those are the four pillars of wellness. Yeah, I love that. And I think that that going back to basics mentality definitely for me happened during 2020 in lockdown. And I was thinking about like, why am I going to berries three times a week? And like being in this environment that absolutely raises my cortisol levels, like insanely. And yes, I love weightlifting, but like, I don't need to be like screamed at and like sprinting at 11 on the treadmill, like up an incline. I don't think it's helpful for me. And I really like got back to slow movements, walking. That's what works for me. Again, I was just speaking to one of my friends and he was like, I love berries and I love rumble and I love being screamed at. And like, it's the only way I can work out. (laughs) I kind of like it too. And (laughs) no, it's great. And like, it does work for certain people. But I think that that level of like, personalization is something and and going back to basics is something that I definitely see trending. And I want to talk about also 
in, I believe it was, I think it was just in the, the fitness category on the Well and Good Trend Report. There was two trends that really stuck out to me. One was the staying power of at-home cycling. And the other one was about like personal at-home training, like on Skype or whatever it is. And I think that was really interesting to me because it really does show that, yes, workout classes are back in action, especially in New York, but like people are really choosing to still work out at home, I think. And I think that we've all seen that like it is possible and you can get an amazing workout at home with very little equipment. And I guess I'm just wondering what you think this will do to the overall like class space. And I guess just your thoughts on it, because like for me, I I love a class once in a while, you know, I love being around working out around other people but I also enjoy the ease of just like doing something quick at my house. So totally you hit the nail on the head. And I think it was a recent study by ClassPass, the fitness um, booking app that said 65% of people think in the next year, they'll do both at home and in-person workouts. And what we're seeing is that these fitness brands are increasingly pursuing a hybrid model or what we sometimes call an omni-channel model where they're providing classes and solutions for people who do want to work out at home, but then they're still providing that in-class experience for people who want it. And increasingly, they're creating technology that does both. So you see brands like Peloton increasingly adding you know, features where you can work out with a friend at the same time from your individual bikes, or you can live stream a class together, or we're also seeing that some of these brands are partnering with gyms to stream in classes to gyms. So if you're not someone that owns your own bike, you could go to like a crunch gym, use one of theirs and do one of these classes together with people who are logging in virtually as well. So a lot of innovation happening in the fitness space to marry the convenience of the at-home workouts with that kind of community feel that you get from going to a class. Yeah, we actually had Rachel Katzman on from Pevolve, and she was talking all about, like, how their their classes are amazing in New York, but, like, they're also really great with their online platform. And I think it goes – it's the same. It's like Peloton is having ways to connect in real life, and – Brands like Pevolve and SoulCycle are really like expanding what their at-home universe looks like. You can still do your favorite classes and work out with a trainer, but have that relationship with an at-home workout and an in-class, in-class workout. I think it sort of reinforces the idea that going to a class is a great social activity and a way to connect with your friends. And so making that more of a thing, you know, place to connect with friends and then you're still moving your body at home. Mm -hmm. I also think it's like, to me now, it's really going to a class is really like a luxury. And I feel like it is, I treat it more like how I, I mean, I don't get massages, but like, I would assume people get massages because I'm like, 
okay, you know, it's like a once in a while little treat, great for my mental health, great for my body. And it like will get me out of my workout rut kind of. And I think that's like something that has absolutely changed because I feel like 2019, I was going to like four classes a week. And I think that not only was it extremely hard on my body, it was like so expensive. And just like, I think there's a lot of new platforms that I am loving trying that I can just do at home that are like monthly memberships, way more affordable and just better for me in general and better for my body. So I I definitely think the the trend of like the at-home workout is here to stay. Well, I think it also like encourages you to think about what you really want to achieve and creating your own workout just for that purpose Mm -hmm. rather than just sort of like blindly going from class to class to class to class. It makes you think about what you want. Yeah. I think prior to the pandemic, I was going to like berries and soul cycle and like all of these like very intense cardio classes. And I was doing it for like, obviously an amazing mental health boost. I think I realized throughout lockdown that I was like, why am I doing that? Because realistically, what I'm looking for in a workout class is a serotonin boost, a great way to start my day. And then we move on. And I think that like I was pushing my body to the absolute limit, not to achieve some sort of like strength or physique goal, but just literally to like have some mental health boost that I could achieve by like going for a walk or doing yoga, which is so much easier, like on my joints and everything. So I just, I definitely think like it made me reevaluate my goals for sure. Let's talk about some other categories because I love the recipes. I love uh, in today's email blast, you talk about what are the shoes that are surprisingly worse for you than high heels even and things like that. Like I think some of the fashion stuff, it's great. It's really like something that you wouldn't get anywhere else or other categories. Yeah, I want to talk about other categories. In the health section, we were reading about sperm health and fertility conversations, pelvic floor care, abortion access. And I think this is something that Well and Good does really well overall, but it's also something that has really become part of the wellness conversation recently, which is reproductive health and I guess more taboo topics and things that have normally been kind of like silenced. So I guess I want to talk about how you think social media has affected this shift towards like having more open conversations about these things. I think social media has played a huge role in this for the simple fact that I think a lot of people who are experiencing situations like infertility struggles, who are in need of an abortion, who are going through menopause, they feel very alone and they feel very siloed, particularly if there's not anyone in their immediate community going through the same thing. So social media 
I think, became an avenue for people to find other people going through similar experiences, which then just has increased the level of support that people are looking for in these areas. And then on the flip side of it, I think that as people have been more empowered to post about their personal experiences on social, it raises the awareness of these things for everyone. And then it enters the greater conversation, which is what you really need to make real change in these spaces. But I think it's something that's been absolutely amazing to see. And I think we have to give TikTok a little bit of credit here as well. Um, When you look at TikTok as a platform, which really exploded for a different demographic during the pandemic, you know, it has a much less filtered a much more real kind of vibe and aesthetic compared particularly to Instagram, which is known for its like perfectly curated feeds and whatnot. And it's brought a lot of these conversations to the forefront in a new way. And the other thing that I think TikTok has really led the way on and now Instagram is picking up as well as kind of direct access with experts. So we have a lot of mental health experts posting to their social media feeds a lot of doctors, we saw this a lot with the pandemic, a lot of, you know, emergency room doctors or epidemiologists kind of parsing out information on their social media feeds. So I think this greater awareness of health in general has really laid bare the gaps in our healthcare system, which often happen around these taboo topics because people are embarrassed to talk about them. So it's this great cycle of increasing awareness, empowering people to share what they're going through, And then that leading to brands and companies and people creating the services that need to happen in order to support people with these experiences. Yeah, I mean, I think that probably you can speak on this, but I think that growing up, no one ever talked about hormonal change, menopause, birth, any of that. IVF. IVF, none of that. And I think that it's only like in the past few years that that has really become part of the conversation. And I feel so much safer navigating life, knowing a little bit about those things, because like when I get to that bridge, I I will know how to cross it, you know, (laughs) whereas like, I can't imagine getting to a certain point in life, like when I'm about to give birth and being like so scared about it. Because, like, you don't know anything about postnatal or postpartum depression or any of that. That was just so silenced for so long. And I think it's incredible that those things are. Well, I think healthcare professionals felt like it was not professional to talk about those things. And then when the community started talking about it and it was really put out there, I think they felt obligated to weigh in, which then opened the conversation even further, which is great. Yeah, for sure. So I want to talk about the trends in cooking. And one of the big trends that I read about was the rise in non-alcoholic spirits. So I want to talk about that and why you think that's, that's happening. Yeah, so that's something that I've seen kind of percolating for a while now. And I imagine you both in New York have started to see, you know, more non-alcoholic spirits available to buy or maybe a larger 
mocktail section on a cocktail menu, but really in the past year, and we're, we're posed poised for even greater growth next year, it's really exploded and gone mainstream um, with more options available for people. And I think a few things are happening that are driving that mass acceptance of kind of the social sober movement is something people say. The first is that I think, well, not I think, research shows that in 2020, people were drinking more than usual. Like the first year of the pandemic, a lot of people were, yeah, (laughs) but people were really self-soothing with alcohol. And then at the same time, there's a greater awareness of your health, a greater focus on how your body is feeling and, you know, more thought going into the fact that like maybe drinking all the time doesn't make you feel great. (laughs) Um, So these things are happening at the same time. So if 2020 was the year of drinking a lot. I think 2021 was the year of starting to pare back and to find other options for unwinding at night and what that looks like. Um, And now there are all of these brands that are creating non-alcoholic spirits. You can now get wine that's brewed the same way that wine is created, but they extract the alcohol from it at the end. So they're, you know, still tastes like wine, still really high quality. And we're seeing, you know, these zero proof, low ABV, you know, beverages just feeling more and more like, like an actual cocktail rather than like a super sugary, sweet Shirley Temple type situation. Yeah. I was actually watching Colton's season of The Bachelor and at one of the commercial breaks, there was this huge advertisement for Heineken non-alcoholic beer And I was really amazed by it because I think clearly the audience of that show is, I would say it's probably not just based around like New York and LA. It's very like universal, inclusive of the entire country. And I think that that was really interesting because I was like, wow, this movement that I feel like has been kind of percolating in New York for a while is really becoming like way broader countrywide. So I thought that was really amazing. And I really see this movement towards like a sober curiosity becoming really popular, especially among people my age. And I think that growing up, I was really like the way that I was introduced to people who don't drink was if you don't drink, it's because you're an alcoholic. And now it's becoming way more open. People don't drink for a multitude of reasons. People drink once in a while and then pretty much never. Or I think this, our relationship with alcohol is becoming more discussed and in that like it's becoming more personalized and not so black and white which I think is amazing and I think that it was kind of like framed prior that you know if you don't drink then you probably have a a problem with alcohol and now it's becoming more of like maybe you're just curious about the health benefits or maybe it just doesn't work for your lifestyle or And that's okay. And there's many other ways to socialize that don't involve alcohol. So I think that's a huge, a huge trend for sure. Yeah, I think I think people realize the liquid confidence 
kind of get puts you in a place that you may regret later. So <laughs> don't go there. Yeah. That and just like the fact that it just doesn't serve like many people. So I think it's becoming more normal to go out and socialize and not drink, which I enjoy sometimes. So yeah, I'm here for that trend for sure. So I found that across categories, there was definitely trends in personalization and kind of like this individualization that we've been talking about and also trends in sustainability. And I would love to ask what you think you would add to those two. Those are definitely two huge ones. Sustainability in particular, I think, as everyone is becoming more aware of the realities of climate change and the fact that we really can't be well if the planet is not, they're, they're changing their habits across the board. So that's something I'm personally very excited about and was happy to see. I think the other big through thread is, you know, it goes back to this idea of meeting people where they are. And often that means literally. So things like telehealth, beauty services and devices that you used to only be able to get in the dermatologist's office are now providing high quality services at home. Things of that nature are so important because it opens the doors up for people who might not have been able to access these things in the past. When I was reporting on a lot of the healthcare trends in particular, um, healthcare providers just kept saying, you know, there are so many patients that live an hour away from a medical specialist or can't make time to go to a doctor's appointment because they don't have a car or they don't have childcare. And telehealth just means that these people can get a doctor when they need one um, without, you know, if they're not lucky enough to live in like a big city and, and be able to hop on the subway. So, so yeah, I think that that kind of, breaking down geographical barriers has been another through thread across the trend report. So do you think the at-home COVID tests are going to lead to other testing at home and other at-home medical treatments? Yeah, we're seeing a ton of at-home tests. It's an area that I am excited about, but also nervous about because I do think you can have too much information about your body, especially if you don't know how to properly synthesize it or act on it. So I think a lot of these at-home testing do have a doctor's visit, even if it's a virtual appointment component. So those I'm a big fan of where you get your results and then you go through them with like a functional medicine doctor to kind of walk you through what to expect. But I do worry a little bit about people becoming too obsessed with their metrics and some of these levels and lose sight of the bigger picture. And I think for some kind of personalities in particular, that can be a scary place to operate. You see it with food tracking and with fitness tracking as well. So if you add things like hormone level tracking on top of it, it makes me a little nervous. Um, But I think if you're doing it in conjunction with a professional, it eliminates a lot of that risk and can be really helpful for people. Yeah, I think the accuracy is sometimes questionable. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I've never heard that that take on it. But I think orthorexia in general and this like obsession with being as healthy as possible is something that could definitely be influenced by like constantly checking levels on 
at-home tests, at-home hormone tests or like overall health tests. And I think that's definitely like a downfall of that. But there's also upsides. Obviously, people like have access to, to testing that maybe they wouldn't have if they had to go into a doctor's office. So, yeah. I want to talk about, I think we touched on it a little bit earlier, but this, the commodification of wellness. And I think that a lot of times like being healthy is framed as something that like you need to buy a bunch of things to achieve. And I think Well and Good does a really good job of this, but I want to hear how you think we can avoid feeling like I guess, inadequate or even unwell without the newest gadgets in self-care or fitness? It's such an important question and it's such an important thing for people to think about. And it's one that we're constantly talking about and thinking about it well and good. And I think it comes down to separating in your own mind as a consumer the difference between true well-being and the what we call capital W wellness industry, right? Which is worth, I believe, $4.5 trillion globally, some absurd amount of money. And it is an industry, right? And it is a business. And many of the operators in, that, in the wellness industry might have your best interests at mind, but they also want to make money, right? Like it is a business. So I think as a consumer, kind of keeping that in mind and going into your wellness routine with kind of your own core priorities in mind can help you see through some of the marketing that's constantly coming your way. Um, I think it gets back to the question we were talking about a little bit earlier in terms of toning out all of the, the noise and instead tuning in on kind of your inner workings and what feels best for you. What do you think if you had to pick a gadget what do you think the greatest new thing is? Oh, gosh. <laughs> or top three, even. Yeah. I mean, there's so many. One that I think is really cool and you see a lot of professional athletes using is called the Aura Ring. And best. you're obsessed. I haven't gotten one, but like I'm really in love with them. First off, I saw Kim Kardashian post it. Anyone who doesn't know the Aura Ring, the Aura Ring is basically like an Apple Watch, but it it just sits on your finger. It's very low key. I think like the Apple Watch, we definitely saw the trend on TikTok that people were like, it's so chooky and you need to stop wearing it. And if you're wearing an Apple Watch, especially on a date, you're done. And I think the Aura Ring is kind of like just the other side of that and people being like, okay, I want to be able to track my sleep and my recovery and my workouts and all of that good stuff. But I also want to be low key and like chic. So it's, it's the answer to that. Totally. I think that's a huge one. And what Aura Ring does too, is it gives you your metrics and also gives you some sort of recommendations and it really encourages rest and balance and not just like Close all your rings, go harder all the time. So I think that's really great. Another device that's really cool is this beauty device called the Droplet. I don't know if you've heard of it. And basically what it does is it takes your creams or your moisturizers and it turns them into a micro mist that can penetrate deeper into your skin. 
Um, so it basically takes your beauty products and makes it so that they work better for you, which is super cool and sciencey and kind of nerdy, but I'm into it. That's really cool. Yeah. I mean, I'm like such a person that like, I'm constantly confused when it comes to skincare and I feel like there's, that is one category that I'm just like, there's so much noise and it's something that it's just like, for me, I'm just like, okay, I I'm doing something that works for me for now and that's fine, but I'm constantly confused. So maybe I'll, I'll need to try that. Yeah. Those are probably my top ones. Top three. I mean, there's so much cool stuff happening in the connected fitness realm as well. Some of these personalized equipment that I mentioned, the trend report use AI to track your movements and then give you real-time feedback, which is super cool. So there's one called Tonal that does it really well. Another called Tempo. The Mirror was one of kind of the OGs of these. But the new wave of them is you can use your phone or you can use your computer to, to send that feedback as well. So you don't necessarily need to buy a piece of equipment that's cost thousands of dollars. You can kind of use this app in real time. Super interesting. I feel like we could do a whole episode on our favorite wellness products as well. Well, you know, mine are very limited. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But I think that's sometimes the best. You have a routine that works for you. So we have loved speaking on this. One question we ask all of our guests on Ageless is what do you want to be when you grow up? So I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Mm. I want to be balanced. I think is my answer. Yeah, I think that a lot of times it's easy to get kind of wrapped up in the go, go, go. And something that I want to figure out for myself is how to tone it back a little bit more and and find more balance. That's so funny because that is the word that I think of when I read well and good. <laughs> balance. Yeah, it's perfect. Okay, so thank you so much yeah, for doing you. this with us. Anything you want to plug, Well and Good, your own channels, whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, check out Well and Good. Um, you can find us on Instagram at I Am Well and Good. We have a YouTube channel. We have a podcast of our own called The Well and Good Podcast. Um, yeah, we'd love everyone to check it out. Yes, and guys, sign up, subscribe to the emails because yes. they're amazing. Start your day. Yes. Well and good as <laughs> Okay, thank you so much, Abby. Awesome. Hope you guys love this episode and thanks so much to Ginny Media for our audio production. All right, so I'm so happy that you guys got to listen to our stories today. As always, you can follow us on social media and keep up with our work and our crazy adventures. Then you can follow us on Instagram at Cynthia Rowley and at Kit Keenan. Thanks for listening. Hold up. 